welcome to Let's Face the Facts. I'm David Almeida, and I'm your host for this rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida, and every week I synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show episode by episode. Join me as I talk about TV, entertainment, nostalgia, and pop culture with some of the greatest talent that Central Florida has to offer. Hey guys, another show, another week. Welcome. Good to have you with us. It's a great show. Matthew Arter's here. We're here for part two of two of the season premiere for season five. And uh, he and I hopped again onto Skype and recorded the show. And I really don't have any other introductions other than just thank you guys for listening. And thanks to those who have messaged me or commented on social media or reached out. I really do appreciate it. And I love talking to you guys. And uh, some of you have learned uh, through experience that I'm not a good Instagrammer and I'm not much better with Twitter. Facebook is still my jam. I am a gentleman of a certain age, so I'm kind of sticking to the Facebook or uh, comments on the Facebook photos or the actual email address, facethefactspod at gmail.com. But however you choose to connect with me, I will get the message eventually, and I always do love it when you reach out. So, Matthew Arter and I watched Season 5, Episode 2, Brave New World, Part 2. An original air date was September 21st, 1983, as part of a one-hour special. Think we're ready to jump on in. Let's face the facts with Matthew Arter. We are back with Matthew. It is part two of two. It has been an entire week since last week. Okay, it was yesterday. Let's be real. It was. Yeah, but we didn't try to knock it out in one night, and that's good. No, because we didn't want to do a disservice to our our guests, did we? No. We always find that we're just, by the end of the second two-arter, we're like, oh, let's get this over with. And the energy is gone. So yeah. we are back, Matthew. Hello. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to talk about it because it, the show is transforming before our <laughs> eyes. And he is so excited. So this is part two of two. This did broadcast initially as a one-hour special. It was not two episodes. It was a one-hour. I was hour. wondering that because I noticed they had the same date yeah. as, as premiere. Yeah, but September. I don't remember it that way. I don't remember it that way. Oh, I do. I absolutely do. September twenty first, nineteen eighty three. Still the same director writers, of course. Asad Kalada, Linda Marsh, Margie Peters. So we need to get to this show. But Matthew, as promised to my tens of listeners, we were going to talk about TV in nineteen eighty three. You want to talk some TV history in nineteen eighty three? Yeah. Well. A couple things. Yeah, talk, talk to me. Tell me what you got. My big thing was it was the premiere of TV's bloopers and practical jokes. <laughs> In the pantheon of American entertainment. And then an ABC mid-summer, mid-season replacement in early 84 was mm-hmm. something called... Foul-ups, bleeps, and blunders? Foul-ups, bleeps, <laughs> and blunders! <laughs> Hosted by Steve Lawrence. And? And? Uh, I'm, no, it's uh, not uncommon that you would not remember who his co-host was because 
Was it? It was like Don Rickles or something. Don Rickles. It was. Oh my God. But the king. But I bow to your superior knowledge. Yes. It's it's not weird that you would not remember Don Rickles because ABC was so worried about <laughs> Don Rickles' brand of comedy, which I don't get. They weren't live. No, so, they could edit him. Yeah. So they did, and they refilmed secretly, refilmed segments with just Steve Lawrence. Oh, so when Don Rickles saw it on TV, he was like, what the fudge? <laughs> <laughs> And it lasted uh, like four episodes or something because they weren't legally allowed to say bloopers. Yeah. So they had to keep saying foul ups and yeah. look at this blunder. And yeah. it just, it, I, it fascinates me that somebody at ABC was like, you know what, it'll be, it rolls off the tongue. Foul yeah. ups, bleeps, foul and, bleeps and blunders. You know, I obsess over the Nielsens. And uh, I'm fascinated by the sort of story that the Nielsen ratings tell. Um, we talked about how NBC's ratings were in the shitter when the facts of life started. Mm-hmm. And as we've said progressively, each season we're like, oh, they're starting to build their arsenal. They're starting to get the shows. They're starting to accumulate the shows that are going to make it the number one network when the mid-80s hit. But they are still really struggling. Yeah. The Nielsen's. Uh, when we started the facts of life... The, the season before the facts of life, the highest they had on the top 20 was 14. And that was Little House on the Prairie. 78. 78 to 79, yes. And then in the first season of the facts of life, they were still at number 14, but now it was real people tied with Little House on the Prairie. Okay. And those were the only two that broke the top 20. Next season, 80 to 81, still. Only two in the top 20, Real People and Little House on the Prairie. This time, Little House was number 10. Real People was number 12. Um, this doesn't matter. I'm just rattling it off because the point I'm going to get to eventually is. Um, the season after that, number 21 was Real People. Then Facts of Life and Little House on the Prairie tied at number 24. And Hill Street Blues was at number 27. So they didn't even crack the top 20 and they only had four shows in the top 30. The others were still dominated by CBS and ABC. So the just completed fourth season of The Facts of Life. This was the 82 to 83 season. Okay. In the top 20, CBS has 12 of those shows. ABC has seven. NBC has, if you do the math, one. That's it. And it's the A-team at number 10. Suddenly, out of the blue, the A-team has burst this uh, glass ceiling of sorts. And it was a mid-season replacement in January. So it was that's how big a hit it was. It was at the halfway point of the season. They pulled in that much as far as ratings-wise. And so then the Strokes is out of, like, is, like, Gary Coleman's fame has already started to, has already mm-hmm. peaked and is yeah. on its way down. Yeah. Older. Yeah. So that's the just completed season uh, in 1983. NBC only had one in the top 20. Now let's look and compare it to the Emmy Awards, which were just awarded right before this Facts of Life episode premiered exactly. in the fall of 83. Yep. So um, the number of nominations, NBC had 71. 
nominations for Emmys. That's not bad for shows that ain't in the top 30. (laughs) Yeah. ABC had 23 and CBS had 22. That's like almost a quarter of, I mean, when you look at that pie, it is like. Are we talking like the big ones? Are we talking like actor, actress, like best show? Best show, writing, directing, and all that. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Here's the thing. The reason why NBC dominated the Emmy nominations was it had Hill Street Blues, which was a critical darling uh, to the point that was the year where for writing of a drama, Hill Street Blues was all five nominations. I shit you not. It that was is like, hilarious. Yeah. And there were other years where like the best supporting actor was also all Hill Street Blues. Come on, though. Like Emmy nominators, like. Come on. Was, but, but Hill Street Blues was allegedly that go to show. I never watched it. I was too young to appreciate it. But that was it. Hill Street Blues had 14 nominations. Then the next uh, most number of nominations was Cheers uh, and Fame. Both had nine apiece. Uh, the Thornbirds on ABC also had nine, but ABC didn't have that many nominations. And then here's a funny thing. Uh, seven nominations each for Saint Elsewhere, another critical darling, the hospital drama, and SCTV. What? Because it was run on NBC first. It was first run here, not in Canada, but it is considered a. It was up for outstanding uh, writing in a comedy variety show. It was on NBC. It was NBC was running it. Yeah, and they had hoped that they would be able to. Uh, tell Lorne Michaels bye-bye and get rid of SNL and replace it with that, but it didn't work out. I forget what was going on. Anyhow, that of all of those Emmy nominations, NBC won 19. (laughs) ABC won four. And CBS won one. Oof. Like, it is literally the flip. It is the inverse of the Nielsen ratings as far as Poor NBC is like, we have got all of these critically acclaimed shows that everyone in the industry understands how good they are, and no one is fucking watching them. So that's just fascinating to me. <clears throat> that is fascinating. But um, what are other shows? Didn't Night Court premiere? This? It, it did, yes. Night Court premiered. Because there was that, that, that well, there begins even more of the Emmy dominations um, of NBC. Because John Larroquette oh, yeah. take his, his name out of the running yeah. after he won his fifth Emmy. Right. And um, Ted Cosby Danson was about to um, take over and Cheers was about to finally yeah. take off. So yeah, good for NBC. I mean, yeah, NBC, at least they could have some sense of people are still not tuning in, but they're like, we were, we, at least they could feel like they were doing something right because the show and the shows were good. I mean, these are not awards where we look back and go, God, why would you, why would you, you know, reward Hill street blows? Yeah. Those were good shows. Um, so, uh, just the last thing to put on here, uh, of note in the Emmy awards is that, uh, they were held in September. Like I said, they were hosted by Joan Rivers and Eddie Murphy. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god speaking oh, of that makes me want to go on youtube and find that um, i'll see if i can because that must have been fascinating 
so that ends my Emmy obsessional talk. Uh, now let's talk quickly about the new shows that are about to be starting right now as The Facts of Life is beginning its fifth season. Yes. Oh, Madeline. Oh, Madeline. Did you watch that show? No. Loved it. Madeline Kahn? Yes. It, did, uh, it didn't run long. I think it only ran one season. And uh, it was so fun. It was a, it was kind of like a modern Lucy modernization, just like a wacky housewife. I don't remember if she actually worked in it, but uh, any. Is always brilliant though. Mad- love her. She's a and... genius. Um, a, a day late and a dollar short. Uh, <laughs> Webster. ABC said, you know what? That different stroke show has been on for six years now. We need to make our own version of that. Mm-hmm. And they found dear little Emmanuel Lewis. And uh, there was that. Uh, after MASH. Yes. They tried to continue after. They tried to say we tried to make it keep going after MASH. It ran two seasons, honey. But isn't it funny that MASH holds so many records? Yeah. Including winning the most Emmys. I think yeah. they still hold that off record. But like for being one of the most iconic TV shows in history. Yeah. And yet, at the same time, for being the most made fun of spin-off, like, the comedy gold is always after MASH. If yeah. you get to, like, say something, oh, it's worse than after MASH. And yeah. everybody <laughs> over 40 Yes. exactly what the fuck you mean. Yeah, I remember watching ugh. the first episode and my parents being so disappointed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I used to refer to a member at the, towards the end of Scrubs run, no, they were trying to bring in new, uh, trying to bring in new blood, new doctors, new interns. And so at one point, uh, Zach Braff was now the, the teacher as opposed to the teachy. And uh, it, and I was just like, this is after Scrubs is what this is. Well, it's like Golden Palace and Joey. And uh, this is why I, everybody's always so excited. Oh, this is getting rebooted. You're going to fucking hate it. Yeah. But anyway, Kate and Allie. <laughs> Oh, yes, a very Jake beloved Kirk. show that would go on to run five seasons. Scarecrow and Mrs. King, uh, Whiz Kids. You mentioned that last week. Yes, I did. Uh, Whiz Kids, and again, it's only one season, but because it was part of the whole War Games scare yes. that kids were gonna take over our lives and our computers, and I, I once again, I'm gonna recommend it. Forgotten TV. As a podcast, I think he has three episodes that are close to three hours long. Jesus Christ. And I am, it is riveting. Like he synopsizes every episode. It's like, I, 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 um, Chris Cooling, I think is his name. And I'm just like, I found a kindred spirit of TV obsession in this dude. I have to hunt him down and marry him. I think, um, uh, Mr. Smith. The Talking Orangutan Show. The Orangutan from Every Which Way But Loose, the Clint Eastwood. A Talking Orangutan who becomes a political consultant. And here's the thing about it. It only ran for 13 episodes and it was canceled. It was created by Stan Daniels and Ed Weinberger. Those are Mary Tyler Moore Show people. Bob Newhart. They can't all be golden. You know what I mean? Really not. And I'll be winners. (laughs) And Night Court which would be on for eight seasons. Night Court, brand new this year, 1983. Fascinating story, Night Court. Yes. 
like with the bailiffs dying and then oh yeah it, that, that... it was like a cursed role <laughs> <laughs> yep but marcia warfield is still alive yes. she lived to tell the other two not so much uh, <laughs> and then we have of course our in memoriam section wow and this is this is lengthy. This is a lengthy list of shows, at least that I recognize. There's more here that I didn't do. Uh, Laverne and Shirley ended its Finally. eighth year. Finally, God, yeah. someone needed to shoot that dead horse. Yeah. And they actually considered renewing it for ninth season. And Penny Marshall said, "The only way I'm going to sign is if we move the show to New York, produce <laughs> the show in New York, and have it take place in New York." And the network said, we're not spending the money to re- to do all. We're not building new sets and moving production. Fuck that. So they canceled it. Other than the fact that Laverne and Shirley had no Shirley anymore. <laughs> Cindy yeah. Williams had already left. It was just Laverne. Yep. Archie Bunker's Place. Finally. Speaking so, of okay. Mash. We're getting rid of some, we're getting rid of some crap. Yeah. Uh, Mash ended its 11-year run, as I said earlier. Uh, Fame is ending its two-year run on, uh, I think that was an NBC show, but it would go on to five more years in first-run syndication. So it still had some still had some uh, fuel in the tank there. Quincy, the Jack Klugman show, yeah. ended its seven-year run this past, uh, the past spring, so spring of 83. Um, Too Close for Comfort, that was done after three seasons and then went on to three more seasons in first run syndication. Wow. The last, the last of which they renamed it to the Ted Knight show and like yes. changed the format and changed the cast. And it was like, suddenly he wasn't a cartoonist. Suddenly he was like the editor of a newspaper and it's like, well, yeah, it's working so well. Let's change everything. <laughs> um, Amanda's. Amanda's by the sea. We have discussed this before. Amanda's, I think it was in our new shows of last year, last season. Well, already done. Over. Uh, Greatest American Hero. That was only on for two seasons. I feel like it was on for longer. Uh, Taxi. And last season of Taxi, it was on four years on ABC. NBC picked it up for one season and then said, nah, never mind. We weren't, we we changed our mind. Uh, Chips. Six years. Damn it. Done. Eric Estrada. What was tiny little Matthew going to masturbate to now? (laughs) Well, certainly not Little House, A New Beginning. Well, speaking of Aftermath. Willie was kind of, Willie was kind of hot in that when he first got on it. You you were into Jonathan Gilbert, were you? He was about my age. So, yeah, I thought he was pretty cute. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that was um, Little House of New Beginning is technically season nine of Little House on the Prairie. They mixed Why it up do I that feel time. like Little House on the Prairie, because of the way people aged, I feel like it was on for 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Because it covered that much. I mean. Like it was gun smoke, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah. Big because. Valley. Yeah, because in the pilot, Laura Ingalls Wilder is a she's tiny like four. child. Yeah, she's tiny. And by season, somehow, nine years later, yeah. she's 18 years old, married, and has two fucking kids. Yeah, but looks 35. <laughs> That's before Melissa Gilbert had a little bit of work done. Um, Love, Sydney ended its two-year run. And uh, lastly, Walt Disney on CBS. 
that was only a two-year stint of the ever-changing, ever-moving various incarnations of the wonderful world of Disney, Disney's wonderful world, um, some <clears throat> lint from Walt Disney's pockets. It was just rehashing and regurgitating the same anthology stuff. Well, that but, would stand to reason because this is when um, the company was not doing well. And, and that's when Eisner stepped in in 84. Mm -hmm. And that's when the Disney Channel started. So part of not continuing on CBS was also driven by the thought of a redundancy. They wanted to move yep. all their content to their own channel. Yep. And um, yeah. So that is all the uh, new shows and the in memoriam section of uh, of the year 1983. So this has been a great podcast, Matthew. I'm glad that's we had you back. Fun. And uh, oh, wait, we got to oh. do the facts of life. Okay. We have now. That's... Here's my question: Did you rewatch episode two, the full version? Matthew, I fucking did. Good. I pulled out the DVD and I watched it, <laughs> and I know what is missing, and we will discuss it. Did we figure out what else was missing from the other one, or was it just literally that first, very first scene? I think it was that first scene. There may have been a joke or two, but clearly not that you and I noticed any strong right. discrepancies. Right. But um, yeah, so getting into this though, this is season five, episode two. Matthew, yeah. give me the two sentence synopsis. Facts of life is about to become wonderful. <laughs> so let's get to it. By we start. Way, I have found. That from here on out, dear listeners, if you think in the back of your head that Edna's Edibles is a front for her selling um, pot-laced goods, <laughs> the rest of the fucking season is hilarious. <laughs> the way they show such reverence for her strudel. <laughs> People go, I've heard from people all over town that you've got the best quiche. <laughs> the strudels, that's the Maui Wowie. That's it the becomes, really good shit. It becomes <laughs> funny on a completely different level. Oh. It's put in the back of your head, Edna's Edibles is a drug front. <laughs> <laughs> it is weeds before we had weeds. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Uh, uh, she's a dispensary. <laughs> <laughs> in peak skill, of course. Yeah. And it also makes more sense when you think about the past seasons, how the girls just loved Mrs. Garrett. <laughs> <laughs> and she we have to stay with her. <laughs> we have to stay their, with her. She was their dealer. <laughs> we can't, you can't leave Eastland. Mrs. Garrett, you can't no, leave. No. What are you doing? You, no, you got to wait till I graduate. Tootie hasn't graduated yet, man. I need a fix. I need a fix, man. Yeah, because that's gotta, what stoners think. They need a fix. They need a fix. Coke addicts. But I'm Matthew. I I have to say, and I'm not saying this ironically. I have no knowledge or experience, as I'm sure you don't. Aren't you precious? So let's get to this. We start the episode with Blair in her dorm room. Joe is sneaking in. Remember, we have the wacky plot of Joe. Yeah. Trying to squat in Blair's uh, dorm room. And uh, she's sneaking in while they're trying to get ready and they're getting in each other's way. And uh, Joe says, I got to be out by 630 before Miss Ames starts patrolling the halls. And 
Blair is like, you have to. She says, when are you leaving? And she says, 630. And she's like, no, no, no. When are you leaving, leaving? And Joe says, look, Blair, I hate this as much as you do. And Blair says, no, you don't. Such a brilliant line reading. No, you don't. (laughs) And Matthew, cut to the next scene of Mrs. Garrett in her bedroom. Did you see what happened there? You're looking at your notes confusedly. That's because this is the rest of the scene that is eliminated from the rerun version of the show. We do not meet Miss Ames at this point in the show. We don't meet her till later. That's This is what they cut out. So for those of you who uh, watched the Daily Motion version, we're about to talk about something you haven't seen. The Blair and Joe scene continues where Miss Ames comes in. And like you pointed out, she's in her nightgown. She's got a curler in her hair, doesn't she? Like a single curler. Yeah. And here's my thing. Oh, by the way, she comes back on the Call Me Eleanor episode. Miss Ames. Uh, Oh, does she? Different character, but the actress comes back. Oh, okay. Good. Good to know. Because I was watching that the other day and I was like, she looks familiar and it drove me nuts. Uh Uh-huh. Thank God for IMDb. What would we um, do? And and Wikipedia, I give money to them every year for how much I use Wikipedia. I'm like, this is well worth it to not have to keep a set of encyclopedias on my damn shelf. The thing I wrote down about that scene was, really, Joe? Really? Uh, Yeah, really? Like we talked yesterday, like, you realize this is an inconvenience. You could be a little bit nicer about it. Yeah, yeah. That you're just, your approach is just, we get it, but I feel like it's, out of yeah. character for their level of their college now. I, they had that I, moment. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, in the, the version you saw, the, the fuller length version, at the very least, Joe says, look, I got to stay here till I can find a job and move back into the dorms. At least there was a sense of there being an end point to this. Yeah. So one presumes she's looking for a job. But, you know, in the version I saw, it's just, you know, I, I hate this. No, you don't. Cut. And so it's like, does Joe think she's going to live there for four fucking years? <laughs> right. We're going to keep doing this. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. But then Miss Ames coming in. And like we discussed last week, not only do we have like this dorm monitor, this yeah. woman patrolling the halls, she's in her nightgown and a curler. So she lives there. We have a live-in House mother at a co-ed college dorm. And by the way, how old do you think she is? <gasps> oh, my God. Miss Ames. I would say <laughs> she is. Because she's um, funny. Like, she's got some funny lines. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Her delivery is kind of great. I, I want to say she is 38 or 39. She's 35. Okay. okay. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, I'm trying to be I, I looked at her and she's that 80s. I have no idea. She could have been 23 or she could have been 40. Yeah. So I had to look it up. Yeah. So true. But yeah. And the scene is just one of those wacky comedic scenes where, oh no, she's at the door. Joe, hide in the closet. <clears throat> and, and Blair's closet. Yeah, I got that, Joe. <clears throat> yep. <laughs> Quick, Joe, hide in the closet. Um <laughs> Blair's closet is full of scarves. What the fuck? It's just Props. scarves hanging. And I, I yeah. thought that was like kind of cheap. I mean, of all the things that they did in that set that they're going to use once, 
Yeah. And then the, they couldn't find clothes to put in the. In yeah, the, I, 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 I agree. And they swapped the posters. The Pirates of Penzance poster and the Follies poster are now on the opposite doors. How am I supposed to piece this together? Yeah. What? Fail. Epic fail. Epic fail. Props and sets and costumes. Clearly you're not working together. Mrs. Um, now, this is not where she gets caught, though. Yet, no. Miss Ames comes in and says, Blair, uh, you are in violation. And Blair's like, oh. Yes. Yeah. And it's, you've been hanging your pantyhose in the bathroom. Oh, of course. The pantyhose. <laughs> what a relief. First of all, Blair gross yeah thank you <laughs> like in a co-ed dorm in college and maybe in 83 that was a normal thing because everybody wore pantyhose yeah but, but like gross Blair. yeah yeah <laughs> Five, who's and again pantyhose you were in college I want you to show me one college girl that even owns a pair of pantyhose. No, no, it was crazy. I was in college in the late 80s. And like when we had a chorus concert with uh, yeah. the college, chor- all the girls did was say, oh, fuck, I have to wear the." They were like, is this show over? Like sing faster so I can get yeah. these damn things off of me. It and was- it always started with, I have to go buy pantyhose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So uh, this scene, this is a near miss. They almost get caught, but shoo. Nope. Instead, it was just comedy gold. And then we go to. Oh, oh, and I think in the original version, this scene was actually tacked on to the end scene of the previous episode. And at the end of this scene, uh, when Joe goes out the window, there's applause and a fade out. This is actually where the commercial break is. But in the rerun. The show starts with this scene, and then it just hard cuts to Mrs. Garrett yeah. in her room, writing at her desk, and uh, a desk covered with crumpled pieces of paper. With her left hand. Writing with her left hand, wiggling it on the page, not really writing. Yeah. And um, not really much, well, well, stuff happens here, but to kind of breeze through, Natalie comes in, and... Natalie starts in with the same thing of, I just wanted to see you again. I just wanted to make sure you hadn't left us yet. Yeah. Laying on the guilt trip. Jewish. But, but Natalie, why is Natalie upstairs in the... Why do they live there still? Yeah, why is she up in her bedroom? Yeah. <laughs> and then Tootie comes in. And Tootie, of all people, is the and one... They're in, their, they're in their nightgown. Is she not yeah. in her nightgown? Yeah, they're grandma nightgowns, like the ones they yeah. wore in uh, Take My Finals, please. Yeah. And then Duty comes in and is like, Natalie, stop bugging Mrs. Garrett. You got to stop this. So Natalie is suddenly the real sensible one and even pushes her out the door and turns back to Mrs. Garrett and says, that child. <laughs> Which is really kind of fun because Duty is so often made out to be the baby. Yeah. I enjoy this little uh, switching of roles here. Um, but we do get the thing of Mrs. Garrett is struggling to write her resignation letter. Yeah. And... Tootie says, what? Why are you struggling? Mr. Parker treats you terribly. You should just tell him to kiss off. And Mrs. Mrs. Garrett is like, Tootie! Okay. Okay. I feel like it is often a sitcom trope to have something like that nobody would ever say as a person 
to another person be the perfect line that they go to to tell somebody else. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm not explaining it, but like, kiss off. That that was kind of a thing in the 80s. That was a little bit of a thing, and that's but probably she, as harsh as they could get. But she acted like she just said, fuck off, cunt. Fuck off. Yeah. And I, I don't know. It's just, it's like, ugh. If you're that mad, Edna, and when you get to that part and she finally does it, it's like, Ugh. yeah, it, it's left me like, come on, like, yeah. it's not, took me out of it. Sorry. I, I didn't hate it. But like I said, you know, kiss off. That was sort of the TV nice way of it's like, well, as opposed to saying fuck off, kiss off. I mean, it was like, you know, that's what they'd say on the gong show and. It was considered. I would rather she say wholeheartedly, "I quit." Yeah. You know, than something falsely offensive. Yeah. Like I don't know. Yeah. No, I. Falseness to it. I'll give you that. I'll give you that because the lead up, the lead up to it is, um, knock knock at the door. Mr. Parker just pops right, doesn't even ask for a come in. Knock and open the door. It's her fucking bedroom. She could have been legs akimbo. <laughs> she could have had how many appliances inserted into her no-no place. I and, wrote down, come on into my bedroom. Yeah. What the shit? <laughs> it's not the first time he's kind of sort of done that. No. But at the same time, you know, it's just there at least should be a come in. I'm I'm decent. But he just literally knocks and walks in and it's like, this is nighttime. They're in their nightgowns. This is after hours. Why are you at fucking work at all? You couldn't pick up the phone. But we had to have him there because Mr. Parker uh, basically comes in and uh, you know what? This is this is morning time. I'm wrong. I said it was nighttime. It's morning time because he says, so uh, are you going to work today or are the students going to fast? Yeah. Like, where the fuck are you? And it's like, well, she hasn't made a meal for the students in about a season and a half that I've seen. So uh, <laughs> he on after admonishing her for like, you know, are you going to start doing your job? So are the students going to fast today? So. What time do you start preparing breakfast in the breakfast hour before school? Because school is early yeah. in the morning. So, like, we're talking, what is this, 5 o'clock, 5.30 in the morning? What the it hell? To, it has to be. I'm I'm flummoxed. <laughs> and then after he does this and, like, you know, is just shitty to her like that, then he says, so, uh, I'm also here because next week there's going to be a luncheon with some of the private school administrators. So you need to start planning. And then he goes as far as to say, and please don't leave it up in the air until the last minute like you usually do. Yeah. And then Mrs. Garrett, trying to stay deferential, remembering that it's her boss and knowing her place as the employee, says, yes, you are right. I do procrastinate. And then he says, oh, and by the way, Mrs. Vandekamp was very disappointed with your Mugu Gai Pan. She says she would have preferred something else. Yeah. She's back to her saying, yeah, I'm a procrastinate. I always procrastinate. Edna's brilliant delivery implies 
that she's being sarcastic. Like, yeah, that's right. You're right. I, I deliver that wrong. And, but no, you no, it's not that. But the point is once again, somebody is trying to find fault with Mrs. Garrett and she's reminding him that there is none. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Other than she doesn't keep any cookbooks. She has to go to the library. Yeah. That's her fatal flaw that we discovered last week. Um, so then he says she would have preferred something else. And she, and I think he even says like a meal earlier in the day. Basically, she says, you mean like she maybe would have preferred a brunch? Yeah. And he says like full on like, yeah, why didn't you think of that? Yeah. And we know that it was a brunch and he changed it. And so we get the Edna. Until finally it erupts into a kiss off. And before we leave this scene, yeah. we do have to discuss, yeah. we get a full lengthy view of all the pictures on her wall. Yes. And we've discussed this before. We've seen some of them, but I'm not sure if they were additions or if we just didn't actually get a good view of them before. But, you know, Matthew, Mrs. Garrett <laughs> talking about how perfect she is. Uh-huh. She, of course, has on her wall. Can you name a couple of them? Oh, um, Martin Luther King. Absolutely. Eleanor Roosevelt. Um, uh, Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill, JFK. Uh, Gandhi. <laughs> I <should> do not. <laughs> and I believe a photo of Neil Armstrong on the moon. It's like, what is that? I also saw, and I couldn't, I kept trying. To, they didn't show it fully. There's a diploma of some sort up there as well. Yeah, what is that diploma? <laughs> so then from that, we go straight into Blair in her dorm room having yeah. a study date with who the person who was credited as Guy in Towel mm -hmm. in the first half. Yeah. His name is actually Guy now. He's Guy. Yeah. And... Yeah. It's just flirty stuff where you're like, he is a beautiful air brain, but Blair don't care. She is flattering him. Blair air wants brain. the Does D. she call him an air brain? Does Joe call him an air brain or something? That could be it. Because that was another one. It was another one like kiss off. I was like, the word is an air brain. It's airhead. But you're right. You're right. That is so weird. You know, like, oh, he's such an airhead. You never say, oh, he's such an air brain. Yeah. That is that is disturbing. Wow. Again, out of touch writing. Go ahead. Uh, yes. Uh, so this is OK. The long and short of this scene. Blair's trying to have a study date and Joe comes home yes. and interrupts the study date. And it just pisses Blair off even further. And Blair warned Joe that she had this study date in the earlier scene, in the removed part that I didn't originally see. So Joe fucking knows. Joe is being such a damn bull in a china shop here. And um, to the point where she's like, nope, I got to get my sleep. She's laying out her sleeping bag. She's yeah. like, she's been a total, ugh, we really don't like this. Well, knock, knock at the door. Miss Ames is back. Well, she and kicks you know what? out what's his guts, right? Yeah. The, um, so here's my question. Uh, she kicks out Guy. For the no, not Miss Ames. For the most part, Guy leaves because he's like, right. is she staying here? What the fuck? Is, I'm getting out of here. Yeah. 
But so, so which is weird. Him being like, "What's going on here? This is too weird for me." Like yeah. really, that like any college guy would have been like, "Can I sit in the corner and jerk off while you two eat each other out?" <laughs> but my question is, can nobody be in anybody else's dorm room after eleven o'clock? Uh, they said they said there's a curfew. Okay, so then. What does it matter if she's got a study date? Because at 11 o'clock, he's got to get out of her room. Uh, you know what I mean? So I like, agree. Doesn't make any damn if this, sense. If Joe hadn't been there and Miss Ames had knocked on the door and he was in the room, I think she'd have a bigger problem. Yeah, with, she must have passed but, him in the hallway. Yeah. So, but, anyway. Anyway, we have this Joe, instead of jumping into the closet last time, which worked, she now stands outside the closet and holds her sleeping bag up in front of her. Yeah. And... Miss Ames sees and basically says, uh, what you're doing is against school policy. I've got to turn you in. And FYI, last time this happened, both of the students got expelled. Have a nice day. But doesn't she have a great line? She's like, what happened to the other girls? She goes, gee, I don't know. (laughs) I just love Miss Ames. I thought she was a great, she pulled every bit of comedy that she could have out of her small time on the screen. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) And on that note, with Blair and Joe facing possible expulsion from Langley, uh, they uh, we go to commercial. Yeah. And that's the that's the act break. And so now we can come into act two of the show. And the entire second act of the show takes place where, Matthew? In the almost finished Edna's Edibles. (laughs) Not quite. Peak Skill's hottest drug front. Yeah. (laughs) And so, yes, we have cleaned up the place, and it's starting to look like something, isn't it? Little curtains did make a world of difference, didn't they? (laughs) (laughs) Tootie and Natalie show up, and they are helping her out, and Mrs. Garrett is so thankful, and... Uh, thanks them and says she wants to pay them. And Tootie and Natalie break the news that since she is leaving Eastland, they are not hiring a new dietitian. They've hired some institutional catering company to truck in the food. Mm-hmm. And they uh, they say, I think we're the next stop after the work farm in the orphanage. The work farm and the orphanage. <laughs> It is 1983. I'm thinking Natalie was exaggerating for comedic intent. For guilt trip. (laughs) The work farm. A work farm. You know where everybody's working since the Depression's so bad. (laughs) I hear the WGA has got a lot of jobs. I have to refill this. Um, Okay, go. I'm going to bring this up now. At some point in this scene, there's another one. Natalie says, you can't do this nilly-willy. Nilly-willy. Nilly willy instead of willy nilly. It's okay. another kiss off and it is another air brain. Yeah, the work farm. That was the, I believe it was the WPA that set that up back in the 40s after the yeah. war. Uh, uh, totally agreed. And Tootie says to Mrs. Garrett, you've seen their ad in the yellow pages. First of all, again, a very 1983 reference. Totally. Referring to the yellow pages. But what do you mean they're ad in the yellow pages? What are you you yeah. sitting around reading the yellow pages, Tootie? <laughs> Was 83 that boring for you? <laughs> it's like, give me that phone book to read over there. Yeah. It's like Nobody's she's a dietitian. Nobody's their ad in the yellow pages. 
Yeah, she's a dietitian. She wouldn't have been looking in the yellow pages under food delivery services. She does the catering. She does it herself. Fascinated me that like what? Yeah. Like why not? You've seen their commercial, or you know what I mean? Yeah. You've seen that in the newspaper. Why did that? Yeah, they got a billboard up over by the Chuggalug. Yeah. But no. Chuggalug. And if you recall, that is where Matthew got hepatitis from yes. the bowl of peanuts. Yes. Twice. Yeah. Um, but they also come with like Tootie and Natalie are just like our lives are falling a fucking part. Yeah. Because somehow they live with the departure of Mrs. Garrett. Somehow they have lost this sweet housing that they are not entitled to. Yeah. And we don't understand why they were there to begin with. Yeah. But they are back in the dorms and they've been split up. Yeah. How and they do the do the people who work in housing not know how Tootie and Natalie have bonded over the past three years? How dare they? I mean, and the fact that the school year is already in progress. Yeah. So why wouldn't they just say stay there i mean because clearly they don't need any other workers to be there if they're just bussing in food and even if they had at some point simply said oh oh, when alex came when we had the princess first come she's like you know we have to go down and serve lunch and serve out the food and she's like don't they have people to do that for you and natalie's like yeah us and somebody said we do it for the money and then someone said she does it because she loves it or something. So there was a joke, but there was almost implication like, you know, at some point they could have said, all right, girls, the debt is paid because it doesn't cost $17,000 to resurface a floor. Um, we, do you want to stay on as paid employees and keep the four musketeers together? You know, you can earn a little bit of salary. That could have been what keeps Joe in school if her scholarship i mean they could have set it up that way and then it would have made sense that tootie natalie like yeah we're gonna stick around we like having the extra pocket money and yeah i I don't know it's so weird but uh the best line that is so it's a funnier joke in 1983 than it would be today but as they're explaining who they are rooming with I, I forget who it is, but the second one who says, I'm rooming, they put me with Valerie Johnson. Mm-hmm. And do you remember what Mrs. Garrett says? The one that eats paper. <laughs> it is a great line reading, Charlotte. And she's like, Ugh. I mean, she's grossed out mm-hmm. by it. And honestly, that you know we now have those what what is the show what is the show about the people with the obsessions my strange obsession is that what it's called but i used to catch up on it back when the soup was on god i miss the soup yeah but we know now in this millennium we know that like oh yeah there are people that eat paper and eat napkins yeah. that's a, that's a thing just like yeah. people eat dirt or whatever but in in those days that that the one who eats paper that was like yeah. that, Huge laugh because it was so outrageous. Yeah. Well, no sooner do they start getting into it when in comes who? Mr. Fucking Parker. And this is the first time we hear it said, Charlotte Ray says, Oh, welcome to Edna's Edible. <laughs> 
Matthew's crying a little bit. I did. I teared up a little bit when she said it. Yeah, so that is a lovely moment. And it seems that Mr. Parker is there now to beg Mrs. Garrett not to leave Eastland. What the heck? Yeah. And he says, and she says, "Uh, no, go fuck yourself. I'm paraphrasing. And she does say, it's nice to know I was appreciated. And he actually says, Edna, come on, please. I'm here on my knees with my hat in my hand. And Mrs. Garrett, with Tootie and Natalie standing behind her, give him the most wonderful look where he's kind of like, you don't really mean I... And then they take a stance and Tootie does the sassy black girl hand on the hip. Like she adjusts her stance like, uh, bitch, get down there. (laughs) And he actually does start to kneel down. And Mrs. Garrett graciously stops him and allows him to save face. What Tootie did, what Tootie did, um, hands on hips and her neck out. That is the American sign language for. So, As well it should be. If you ever need that, and, and if you ever <laughs> <laughs> encounter a person who's hearing impaired and you need to say, mm-hmm. if you ever find yourself talking to a sassy African-American deaf woman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. But Miss, but Mrs. Garrett says, nope, my mind is made up. I'll still cater your wife's parties. Oh, oh, no. She says my mind is made up. And then she says, Charles, I'll cater your wife's parties and your anniversaries and your alumni dinners. But for a price. But she calls him Charles for the first time, which is kind of awesome. It's her saying, shit has changed. Ain't no going back. I love it. And then she says, uh, oh, and after she says for a price. Referring to last week's show, she says, remember when you said I wasn't a professional caterer? Well, now I am. And um, in in a good, uh, really nice, finally, he's calmed the hell down from being an asshole. And he actually starts being nice. And he says, well, he wishes her luck. And she says, you'll always have a special place in my customer file. Giggity. <laughs> Sarah French swears they were fucking. She really thinks so. I'm not so sure after last week's show. I think they broke up because he was just doing things to purposely hurt her. Well, I think she broke up with him. Yeah. His punishment for her was all of this stuff. And of course she couldn't say because that would, again, that would portray her as imperfect in the eyes of the girls having an affair with a coworker. Uh, (laughs) Like she did with Howard. Yeah. so they are happy, but Tootie and Natalie are miserable still. Yeah. Blair and Joe come in, and they are very, Blair is particularly happy. Why are you shaking your head? Blair and Joe come in, and Joe is wearing a beige sweatsuit. Yes! Matching sweatshirt and sweatpants. Beige. Beige. <laughs> You want a color that looks good on nobody? Beige. You you want a color that's going to blend in with the decor? Yeah. It was... Beige. Yeah. 
But we have so many, so many costuming fails coming down the pike now that Blair and Joe are not going to be wearing the Eastland uniforms. Oh, completely. And, uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, Blair is happy because they did have a talk with the Dean. Thankfully, he was sympathetic to Joe's plight. He understood, and he let them off with probation. He did not expel either of them. So all is good. And Joe's like, yep, so I'm leaving Langley, and I'm leaving Peekskill. I'm going back to the Bronx. Yeah. And they're all like, well, but what the fucking fuck? And she says, I don't have the money because I don't have that thing, and I need a job. And Mrs. Garrett, Mrs. Garrett says, Joe, hold your horses. I'm surprised they didn't have her say, Joe, hold your poodles. <laughs> because they fucked up every other. Every other <laughs> idiomatic reference. <laughs> but hold your horses. You need a part-time job. And and this is new information. I happen to know an apartment that has an extra room. And you could live upstairs. You could live here and you could work here. Yeah. And Mrs. Garrett's and, and this is a nice little exchange. Joe says, Mrs. Garrett, I'm not sponging off of you. And she says, no, you're going to be sponging off the counters and the floors and taking care of the customers and filling orders and making deliveries. And uh, Blair chimes in saying, yes, Mrs. Garrett can't do this all by herself. Why? She's got to set up the store, has to get it stocked. She's got to do all the cooking and the waiting on the customers and delivering the, uh, the catering orders. And. Joe does this lovely little saving face thing. You know what? I got an idea. Why don't Perfect I? opportunity for them to have Joe say, I just came up with another one of my brilliant ideas. Oh, that would have been great. A that perfectly missed opportunity. Yes. But remember, they didn't say that as often as we remember. Yeah. Just like Tootie only said, there's going to be trouble. That was maybe three or four times tops. So then Tootie and Natalie come over yeah. to Mrs. Garrett. And Tootie says, and Tootie is the conniving one. This is interesting because once again, the tables are turned. This is yeah. something you would have expected Natalie to be hatching this plan and, and kind of bring Tootie into it. And it was the opposite. And I think I liked it an awful yeah. lot. That Tootie said, Mrs. Garrett, you are such a truly special person. It's really wonderful that you would do that for Joe. Don't you think, Natalie, that was a great thing that she's doing for Joe? And Natalie's like, what? what? Oh, yeah. So it builds into do the same for me and Tootie. Get us the fuck out of the dorms and we'll stay here and we'll work here, too. And Mrs. Garrett says, well, I'll talk to Mr. Parker, but I think that I can convince him. And then thankfully, thank you. She says, but your parents will have to approve. And reminding us that there are parents involved in these teenagers lives. So Tootie so brings Natalie into it. Mm -hmm. And somehow Mrs. Garrett's like, yeah, I want to keep taking care of these teenage girls. Yeah. But at this point, it's like, Honestly, this of all the things, you know, I say that the whole how they get all and remain under the same roof yeah. is one of the issues I have with these seasons. Honestly, the idea that, well, I are we already know how to work together. I already know and respect them and they respect me and this is me doing them a favor and I need the help. And I know that I, I, I kind of get it as opposed to, 
you know, let me hire a staff for a new business when I've never run a business before. We didn't even talk about that. You know, <laughs> Mom, happy birthday. You're a fucking businesswoman now. Go file your taxes. It's like. <laughs> well, her son is a CPA, so that that's has true. to happen. Raymond but would do taxes. Also, um, are you doubting that Mrs. Garrett, Mrs. Edna Garrett, I know. Who has been a successful nurse, a successful <laughs> dietitian, a successful taxi driver, a successful flight flight pilot. And a uh, restaurant manager. Possibly, she yeah. could not possibly run a drug front. <laughs> drug dealer would probably be the easiest job for her. Um, so then we've got Tootie and Natalie and Joe. We're all back together. This is so exciting. Isn't that great? And so we're all working together again. But then they look over and Blair is standing off over by herself. And they're like, Blair. Mrs. Garrett says, the room is big enough for four. But she says it in a weird, like, skipping across the room. The room's big enough for four. <laughs> like, it's so <laughs> weird the way she says it to her. I hate the line reading, but Blair makes up for it in her delivery. Yep, Blair beautifully says, wow, I don't know what to say. And they say, how about yes? And she's like, all of us, the four musketeers back together again, working? No. <laughs> and and it, it's a beautiful little, because you do expect her to say yes and wrap this up in the neatest of neat sitcom bows. And I do commend the writers that they waited one whole fucking episode. They tickled before. our balls. They, they tickled our balls until next week. <laughs> How the devil are we going to get Blair in here? Uh, yeah. And Blair says, and you cannot refute any of this. I don't want to live over a kitchen anymore. I'm going to be pledging a sorority and moving into the sorority house. And I I want to be a college student, for fuck's sake. Yeah. And I'm rich, bitch. I don't have to work. And she's, she's going to be, and she's going to be, um, they're setting up next episode. Because she says that she's going to be pledging Gamma Gamma, gamma next gamma. week. Yeah, so exactly. she's going to be out of the dorm anyway and living in this beautiful home with a, with a view of the orchard. And, and, she, and closet space. For yeah, her closet clothes. space. So, um, you know, Mrs. Garrett says, I get it. I understand. And I'm sure you'll be very happy. So they start working and they start doing the cleanup. And then... In a very odd and abrupt ending to the episode, yeah. Joe turns to Blair. Oh, God, I didn't check this, though. Maybe this is different. Joe turns to Blair and says, hey, you may not be living with us, but you can still help us clean up. And throws the broom at her, and it freezes roll credits. Yeah, that's it. Very abrupt. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. And I mean, fine, it was it was utilitarian. It did what it needed to do. I don't know that they needed to freeze it. What would have been wrong? Maybe Blair didn't catch it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> do you want to do another take? No, fuck it. No, Can we go home? It. It's a two-parter. <laughs> We've been working on two-parter. This has been an hour-long episode. Yeah. No. We need to build and unbuild all of these damn sets. The <laughs> crew is tired. But no, <laughs> I felt like they could have let it play and just shown Blair, like, give in and, like, okay, I'll sweep. 
Yeah, and and be actively cleaning yeah. up all the stupid, senseless, busy work and space work we've seen the actors doing yeah. over oh, the credits. It gets worse. Oh, does it? Oh, yeah, because you will see, like, in background shots, like, Natalie, like, who's working the bread counter, just, like, moving the same croissant back and forth, and, like, <laughs> not paying attention to what she's doing. I've never doing that before. You pointed that out, didn't you, at the in the yeah. Jan Brady episode? I love to watch stuff like that in background stuff. Like, what's Natalie doing back there? Yeah. Or like, like, there's a crowd scene. I'll pick somebody out of the back and be like, oh, "Somebody always laughs. Somebody always laughs." It's um, mm-hmm. whenever you're t- looking at a crowd scene at a restaurant, look at some table where people are back there just going hubbub 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 hubbub. Hub, somebody hub, always hub. goes. Peas and it. carrots, watermelon. Peas and carrots, watermelon. Ah, oh, Matthew, my love. Oh my God. We are at the end of season five, episode two. Edna's edibles. It all it... begins now, people. And last week you said because we have not yet quite tied this bow perfectly. Yeah. Edna's edibles doesn't quite look the way it is going to end up looking, and because Blair is not yet under the roof. You want to do season two. Uh, you want to do episode three also with me, don't you? If the if uh, I don't want to take away. I know with Skype and everything, you have the opportunity to use people you haven't used and stuff before. So I will leave that up to you. And my feelings won't be hurt. I promise you. Well, I, you're gonna fucking do it. I'm of course gonna have you back. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so Matthew, my love, let's say goodbye. And uh until next week. Right. We, we've got a show to watch. We have got we've got to do all of our busy work that's keeping us occupied during our uh continued social distancing and isolation. Well, until yeah, next week, goodbye. my sweet, let me say smooches and goodbye. Stay safe, stay sane. Mwah. I love your face. Oh, I love your face too. Bye. Bye. And there you have it. What more can be said about Matthew Arder? He is just not well. And that is why I adore him. I really don't have anything to add to this week's show, other than uh, if you enjoy the times I have Matthew on, remember, we do a separate podcast. It's more of a potpourri show called TV Talkaholics. That drops once a month, and that is available through the Patreon page. And uh, if you're interested, hop on over there if you might want to become a patron. If you do not wish to do that for $3 a month, I totally understand, and I promise you I'm still going to continue to make the show. So next week, Matthew is going to be back three in a row. That is a record. That's a new first for my show. Uh, It's going to be season five, episode three, Gamma Gamma or Bust. And you can watch the episode for free on the Roku channel or at dailymotion.com. Check out the links in the show notes and on the show's webpage, and they will get you to the episode that you want to watch. That's all for now. Again, I hope you're staying safe and sane during the pandemic. Thank you for listening. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was produced, written, hosted, and edited by me, David Almeida. My theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. 
Our website is facethefactspod.com. You have to drop the let's. And that's where you can find extra pictures, video, and audio extras from the digital cutting room floor. Follow the show on social media. We're everywhere under the handle Face the Facts Pod. You can become a patron of the show by going to patreon.com slash face the facts pod. And don't forget, go to your favorite podcatchers and subscribe, rate, and review. Tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. <laughs> <laughs>